0: They say when you hit rock bottom, the only way you can look is up. Well that's not true. You can always look deeper down the hole. You have to choose to look up. My health was failing. My marriage was failing. I had abused every substance imaginable just to feel something, only to abuse other substances to make that feeling go away. It was a cycle that I saw no end to until I did something. So my wife and I gave it one last shot and we went to church. She went to fellowship when she was a kid, so this was our first and last stop. I don't know if I really believed we could change, but for the first time in a long time, there was hope. That year, I gave my life to the Lord. I wasn't sure how to be a godly man, much less a godly husband, but he started working on me that day. My desires changed. My purpose changed, my heart changed, I was free. Freedom is waking up in the morning and not being afraid I'm going to be the old me by the time I go to bed. It's not worrying about the sins and mistakes that hold me down. That's what it means to be set free. And I'm gonna do whatever I can to see other people set free as well. Because this is what we do. This is who we are. This is us. At Fellowship of the Rockies, we want to see people encouraged, forgiven, set free, empowered, and serving in the way God designed them. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is us.
1: How are you? Good? Good. It's good to, good to see you today. I'm, I'm, I'm back, of course, and uh, we're back into this series called This Is Us. And so over the last several weeks we've been walking through our vision statement together and I've been taking one word of the vision statement and then unpacking it uh, for us so that we understand our vision statement. And so this is not only a vision statement for our church as a whole, but it also should be a vision statement for us personally, uh, that we'd like to see this happen in in our lives and the lives of, of people around us, whether it's our home, our school, our place of work or our community. And so, uh, those of you that have been along with us in this series, you know that our vision statement is based upon Mark chapter 9, the healing of of the paralytic. And so, our our vision statement is going to come up. There's a vision statement. And so, over the last, last several weeks, I've read this statement. And so, I thought it would be fun if we read this statement aloud together. Now, listen. Now... You've got to outdo the other services, and so, uh, so we're going to read this together, and you need to read this with emotion and power and like that's who you are and that's what you believe and say, so, okay, so let, let's do this together. Our vision statement is to see people encouraged, forgiven, set free, empowered, and serving in the way God designed them, and so that, that's who we are. Uh, that is who we are as, as a community. And so this week, we come to this place. Fact is, it, it may be one of my favorite areas of our vision statement, this place of what it means to be set free, what it means to have freedom in the Christian life, to where we can be set free from the guilt and the junk and the stuff of the past, the things that hold us back, and we can live life in the way God intended for us in, in freedom. So John chapter 8, verse 31 is where we're going to be this, this afternoon, and then... We're going look at Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, as we unpack this word, uh, set free. So Jesus is having a conversation. He's having a conversation with some new believers that had met him. Uh, they're, they're Jewish believers. And so the context of this is very critical for us unpacking and understanding what it means to be set free. So here's the conversation, John chapter 8, verse 31. And the scripture says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, The slave does not remain in the house forever, and the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, Jesus is talking to Christians. Jesus is talking to believers. And Jesus is telling them that you're stuck. That you're stuck in your Christian life. You may have been encouraged. You may have been forgiven to where you know you're forgiven of all your sins. You know First 1 John 1, 1.9 that, that if you confess your sins that he forgives you. But you've never taken the next step to have freedom in the Christian life. You've never truly been set free in your life. And so Jesus is telling him, guess what guys, you're stuck. Now I don't know about you, but I hate to get stuck anywhere. I've told you the story, but this last winter, Karen and I were up in Colorado Springs, and we're taking care of Brittany and some grandkids, and so a snowstorm hits, and someone needs to make a diaper run. And so I get get the short straw, and so I I get in my Mazda, and I leave, and I get stuck in the snow. And um, I, I hated that. I don't. I don't like to get stuck in. I don't like to get stuck anywhere. I don't like to get stuck in line. I don't get like to get stuck in traffic. I don't like to get stuck on the phone when you're calling customer care or customer service and they put you on hold. And even though they're counting it down and giving you an ETA of 10 minutes, they're never right. Right? I mean, it's it's always off. I hate to get stuck uh, in in any area of my life, and I especially hate to get stuck in my Christian life. This is what Jesus is saying. You guys are stuck. You may know that you're forgiven, but you're really not. You're really not living in freedom. You're really not living in the freedom that God has for you. And so I want to to give you three things this morning or this afternoon about this issue of getting stuck and how to get set free. The first one is this. It's easy to get stuck. And it's easy to get stuck. That, That day in the snowstorm... I did absolutely nothing. If you get stuck in traffic, you do absolutely nothing. If you get stuck in the line at Walmart, you do absolutely nothing, right? I mean, it is easy to get stuck. See, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31. He said, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide conditional, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. D.A. Carson, who is a theologian, and he's he's a... He's a seminary uh, professor, and his, his expertise is Jesus and the Gospels. In fact, he wrote a book, Jesus and the Gospels. He did a lot of work in John chapter 8, and he would say this group of people that Jesus is talking about are people who met him. When you read John, it says many people place their faith in him. This is who he says he's, he's re- Jesus is referring to. In other words, it's a group of people that, that met him. Um, verse 37, he says, and we're not going to read it today, but he's, Jesus said, the problem is my, my word has no place in you. In other words, they had met him, but his word doesn't have any place in them. In other words, they have never progressed in the Christian life. As a result of that, they, 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 they are stuck. In other words, this, this would be people that have like a superficial faith. This would be people that would have a superficial faith and not a deep faith or a, a shallow faith and not a deep faith uh, this, or, or, or not a genuine faith to where they, they've met him, they know him, but they haven't been set free. fact is, this is a whole theme through the book of John. Several places, it, it talks about this, John chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, the, the scripture says this. It says, now, when he, Jesus, saw in Jerusalem at, at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. In other words, this group of people, and there's a lot of Christians today like that, they meet Christ in an event. Uh, Christ does something in their life, they meet him in an event, they pray, they ask him in their life, they know they're Christians, they know they have faith, but you know what? They've done absolutely nothing with it. They haven't gotten into his word, their word has no place in their life, and so they're, they're stuck. And so Jesus said to the Jews that had believed in him, so the context, I'm taking a lot of time to help you understand, that the context that this is believers, in other words, he's talking to believers. So just so we're tracking this morning, it is possible for believers to get stuck. It is possible for believers not to live in freedom. Let's use a little bit of a deeper word that none of us like, but Jesus used it. It is possible for believers to be enslaved to a sin, It is possible for believers to live life in bondage and not the freedom that that, that he's given us. See, we have to understand this. See, this is why the Jews, they pushed back. Oh, wait a minute. We're Abraham's descendants. So Jesus makes it clear. He says, well, let me explain it this way. Anybody who practices a sin is a slave to that sin, is in bondage to that sin, is enslaved to that issue. When you when you look at the Greek and you just look at that phrase practice of sin is to commit a prolonged sin it's someone who continually continues a certain sin an act for a very long time and like they they no longer have any victory over it and it's like they're a slave to it it's like they're enslaved to it they've never found victory in that area even though they want to they don't like it when they behave that way it's just like it's just like it's compulsive it's just like this 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 behavior that they can't break. See, see, here's the interesting thing. We don't like to refer to ourselves as being stuck. We don't like to refer to ourselves that there's something that has power over us or, or, or we're, we're, we're a slave to something. But remember, Jesus is talking to believers here. So it's possible for believers to get stuck. It's possible for believers to be in bondage. Listen, they've been encouraged, they've been forgiven, but they're stuck. And, and they don't live in the freedom that God has for them. When you, just, when you just take like the New International Dictionary of Theological Terms, and you look up the word slave in this context, here's what it says. I'll just quote. It says, The whole life of a slave is one of unrelieved compulsory labor and service in the household and in public, public works. This person has limited freedom. There's a lot of Christians that could be described about. they got limited freedom. They understand the freedom that Christ has given them. Freedom is not that you and I would be perfect, not that we would be sin-free. But that you and I do not have a sin or a compulsive behavior in your life that you're not free from. In other words, this, you don't make yourself free, Christ makes you free. See, there's a big difference in that Jesus died not only to give us forgiveness of sin, but freedom from sin. He died so that we could be set free. And the way that what Paul says in Ephesians, the way that we are filled with the Holy Spirit is by yielding to the Holy Spirit. In other words, the principle is this. Whatever you yield to controls you. You yield to gossip, man, you're going to be filled with gossip. You yield to lust. Man, you're going to be filled with lust. And it's going to control you. The websites you click on, the things you look at, the things you do. You yield to unforgiveness, you're going to be filled with unforgiveness. And it's going to turn into bitterness and, and resentment. And it's going, to, it's going to fill you and it's going, to, it's going to engulf you. You yield to anger, you'll be filled with anger. Whatever, whatever you yield to, Controls you, and you le- yield to the Holy Spirit, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing about this issue of getting stuck is it is easy to get stuck. The second thing is this: it is hard to admit it. It is, it is, or it is not easy to admit. It is easy to get stuck, and it's not easy to admit. It's just not easy. No, none of us want to admit we're stuck, right? That day when I, when I got stuck in the, in the snowstorm in the Mazda, really what I tried to do, I walked back home to, or walk back to Brittany's house. I, I came in the garage door and I started looking for her keys because I didn't want anybody to know I was stuck. Really what I didn't want anybody to know is I was about ready to use a minivan to get me unstuck. That's like, that's like turn in your man card now. I mean... Fact is, when I'd hooked the minivan up to my car and was pulling it out, people were driving by taking pictures. I know they were posted it on, on, on social media somewhere. I mean, you know what? We, we don't like to admit. It is not easy for us to admit that we're stuck. Verse 33, watch this. They, they, they had the same problem. So they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never, 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 never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? In other words, this is just so funny. One thing that's funny, it's like, well, we're free, but how do you become free? I mean, we don't want to admit it, so we're free. Now, could you just tell us how do you become free? The other thing that's hilarious, this is Jews talking, remember? And they're saying, we've never been enslaved to anyone. This is a group of people that have been enslaved to, like, Everyone. I mean they had been enslaved to the Egyptians, uh, the Babylonians, the, the Chaldeans. The uh, fact is when they made this statement, they were enslaved politically to the to the Roman government. And so listen, let me tell you something. We don't like to admit we don't like to admit it. It's not easy to admit. But here's the interesting thing. When 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 you confront someone when you say, "Hey, I th- I, th- I think you're stuck. I th- I think you got a problem in this area." And when they push back and say, I've never, 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 never done that. You know they're being defensive. You know they come to the place, they just don't want to admit it. It, it, It's not easy to admit. See, it's not easy to admit because it's on the inside. The reason we don't admit is because we don't like to admit it because we don't like ourselves when we do it. That's why it's hard to admit. Because it's one of those things we said, we'll never do again. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll never we'll, like, never do it. And we do it. And then all of a sudden, we don't want to admit it to someone else because you know what? We hate that about ourselves. Romans chapter 7 is like Paul's autobiography. And really and truly, it's his set-free journey. It's his set-free story. I think we all should have a set-free story. Uh, I have one. And so at the close of this message, in a very personal and very vulnerable way, I am going to share a portion of my set-free story with you this afternoon. Because I think we should all have one. I I think it would be totally unfair for me to walk through this and not say, here's a portion of mine. And so Romans chapter 7 is Paul's autobiography. And Paul is, is, well, let's just read it. Watch this. Uh, Romans chapter 7, and you can hear it for yourself, uh, verse 15. He says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I mean, you can hear his frustration. Paul does not do what he wants to do, and he does what he doesn't want to do. He does what he said he would never do. He does the very thing that when he does it, he hates it. And he hates it about himself, and that's why it's hard to admit. Paul comes to the place where he's able to admit it. Romans chapter 7 is like his set-free story. He's about ready to get set free because why? He admits it. 47 times in Romans chapter uh, 7, he uses the words I, me, myself, uh, my. Did I say my? No. I, me, my, myself. Forty-seven times he said that. In other words, it, it, in other words, at this point you understand the secret of the Christian life. The secret of the Christian life is not trying to live the Christian life in your own strength and on your own power in your flesh. It is letting the Holy Spirit fill you and work through you. See, that's the secret of Romans chapter eight. You see, when when Paul gets set free, chapter eight, you no longer see I, my, me, myself. You know what you see. In the Spirit, in Christ, in the Spirit, you start seeing that. In other words, what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I'm stuck, and I hate myself when I'm stuck. I hate myself when I do the very thing that I said that I, I, I would never do again. In other words, Paul's like, I want to honor God. I want to honor Him in every area of my life. But for whatever reason, I can't do it. it, it it's his set-free story. It's his freedom journey. Listen, freedom is a journey. Is a process. That's why Jesus said you will, you will become free. And the more we know him, and the more we know his word, the freer that we become. That's why Jesus said the reason you're not free is my word has no place in you. Listen, you do not set yourself free. Christ sets you free. The word that describes Paul is like, he's frustrated. I mean, how many times have you said, I can't believe I gave into to that again. I said I would never lose my temper. I said I would never get angry. And I did. I said I would get over that guilt of the past. That thing that I did or that thing that happened to me. I said I would get over it. And guilt is like ruling my life. Shame and guilt is like destroying me. I, I said I would, I'd break the bondage of lust in my life. No longer look at that. No longer click on those sites. No longer watch those movies. And I find myself doing it. And I feel, feel horrible. I hate myself for it. How many have said, I, I, I'm going to get over this issue of fear. I'm sick and tired of fear ruling my life. Of fear driving me. You know what? I'm getting set for. I I am. I'm getting over fear in my life. And only days later, you give in to fear, and fear is ruling your life, and you have fear of everything. I'm going to quit an addiction. Just quit. And then you fall. I just tell you this: you can't do it on your own. The flesh will override you every time. You cannot do it. So Paul summarizes his feelings. Uh, verse 24, Romans 7, he said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, important, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I'm conflicted. I I know the law, I know the word, I'm having trouble living it out. In other words, to describe maybe some of Paul's emotions when I went through this, maybe he's discouraged, he's depressed, he's defeated. He says, I'm confused, I'm, I'm stuck, I'm trapped, I'm lonely, I'm like hopeless. These are words to describe people who are stuck in their Christian life. He feels frustrated, condemned, guilty. He feels like, no matter what, I... No matter what, I can't get get it together. I I, I can't do it. I I can't measure up to God's standard, much less live up to my standard. See, that's why Jesus died, is to set you free. But, But you cannot, you cannot get free unless you're able to admit it and just admit that I'm stuck, I'm in bondage, I'm enslaved to this. And there's so many Christians that when you press them on they say, wait a minute, I, I, I can't get stuck. I've been set free. Christ died for me. It's the cross, salvation. I, I'm a Christian. I can't, I can't be in bondage. Well, he's talking to believers. It's like, it's like having, a, having lunch with like a Christian friend. And they're a good friend, and all of a sudden you notice they got food in their teeth. And they're a, friend, a good enough friend where you can tell them about it. And so you look across the table and say, hey, Right here, right here. You got, you got food in your teeth, and they're like, no, I don't. You're like, yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Get a mirror. Look. No, no, no. I, do, I go, you do. I'm looking at you. You got food in your teeth, and they go, nope. I do not have food in my teeth. Christians cannot get food in their teeth. There's a lot of people that do that on a spiritual level. You have a bondage. You're stuck. Nope, no. Christians cannot get stuck. I have been set free. Buddy, that really looks like freedom to me. It's like you sitting down with someone and say, hey, I just need to tell you I love you and trust you, and I just need to let you know that you've got, you got a problem with gossip. Man, every time we get together, you're telling me about everybody else. You're telling me about everybody else's sin. You're, you, you talk about everybody. You got to, and they go, I cannot believe you just said that. I've never gossiped about anybody in my life. In fact, is oh Mary, Mary. Maybe you're thinking of Mary. The only way, only reason I share that about Mary is, is because people need to be able to pray for her specifically. And the only way I'm gonna get Mary help is telling everybody what she's doing. It's a prayer request. We just need to pray. We need to pray for Mary and Sue and John and you know. And they go through the list. It's like sitting down with someone and say, Hey, I, I just need to tell you, you have a problem with the truth. Like, I cannot believe you just said that. I've never told a lie in my life. Fact is, I'm the most honest person I know. Last week, I'm going to Walmart, coming out of Walmart. There's a $20 bill laying in the, in the, in the parking lot, and because I'm always honest and I always speak the truth, I picked, picked the $20 up. I went all, three, all the way through Walmart trying to find the owner of the $20 bill, and I went in and talked to the manager, and I gave it to the manager, and I told him the truth. I told him it wasn't mine. I cannot believe, I cannot believe you just said that. I need to tell you, you have a bondage, you're trapped with fear, rejection, unforgiveness, lust, pride, anger, and all of a sudden they get defensive. Ever told someone, hey, I think you got a problem with anger, and they scream back at you, I don't have a problem with anger! What is wrong with you? I don't even know if I've ever been... I'm passionate. I have an intensive personality. And you're like, well, buddy, it sounds like anger to me. I mean, it just feels like anger. Listen, you will not be set free until you admit it. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. There is a difference between meeting the truth and knowing the truth. He did not say you meet the truth. He said you know the truth. There's a difference between meeting the truth and knowing the truth. There's a difference, there's a, there's a difference between meeting someone and knowing someone, right? Uh, in Houston, when I was in engineering, I worked with a guy that was like really, really successful. And, uh, but he was also very insecure. And so, um, so he exaggerated all of his stories. He had to be, his stories had to be better than anybody else's stories at the table. Uh, he lied, he embellished. And I mean, while you're telling your story, he's going through his catalog of stories. He's picking out his story and he's exaggerating, embellishing it because his story. So we, we would call Dennis. Uh, we knew him as one better that he had one better story than anybody else at the table. You guys know someone like that, right? And so, so one day we're at lunch with one better, and so all of a sudden one better looked at us and says, hey, not going to believe this. Last night I had dinner with Roger Stahlbeck. we like, really? Really? <laughs> so what's his wife's name? What's his kids' names? What's his phone number? You know, wh- what do you think about retiring from the Cowboys or when he won his first... And he couldn't answer any of them. And so finally, you know what we learned? We finally learned that one better... Uh, The night before, he had gone to a sports banquet where Roger was a keynote speaker, and they had dinner, not together. They're just in the same room. There's a difference between meeting someone and knowing someone. If you know someone, you know a lot about them. I am not asking you this morning, have you met him? That was last week. I'm asking you, do you know him? Does his word have a place in your life? Because freedom, ministry, and getting free is just knowing Jesus better. So, so it, it's, it's easy to get stuck. It's not easy to admit. But it's easy to get set free. That's the last point. That's the last principle. It's easy to be set free. John 8, 35, Jesus said, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the reason I say it's easy to be free is because it does not depend on you. It really depends on Jesus. And you, you have got to get to know him. That's why we're so big on life groups. That's why we're so big on life journaling. That's why we're so big on getting into his word. Because that's how you know him. fact is, this is where Paul landed. Watch this. There's this shift. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you see that, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, 164 times in his letter. The fact is, Romans chapter 8, I think it's just so cool, it starts starts out with, with, with in Christ, and he ends it, it's like bookends, and he says, Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so he tells us in verse 2 how we're free. He said, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In other words, we were condemned and now we're not. We were guilty and now we're not. We were imprisoned and now we've been set free. This issue of in Christ is so important. See, a lot of us, especially Christians, we, we have our own ways of trying to make ourselves right with God. And we carry around a burden that we can't carry and he hasn't designed us to carry. And so he wants you to be be free. And so you do not set yourself free. He set you free. God paid the price. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, here to die. Verse verse 3, watch this in Romans chapter 8. For for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not, it's not on your own, not according to the flesh, but what? According to the, the Spirit. Whatever you yield to controls you. And we are free not because we're good enough, not because we followed a list of rules and regulations and all of those other things. We are free because... God sent His Son and paid the price. So do, does that mean that we are, we are free to ignore sin in our life? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we are free to ignore God's law and God's word in our life? Absolutely not. What it does mean is our motivation changes, and it changes to righteousness and holiness. And and because uh, because Jesus uh, because before Jesus it, it was fear and guilt and condemnation, but now our motivation changes, and it is in His grace and it is love and his thanksgiving. And when you know him, your motivation changes. And when you have been set free, the motivation is it's, it's, it's out of love. See, this word free changes everything. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In other words, it's in his word and it's in community. Jesus brought healing in community. The way Jesus heals is in community. Uh, Saturday morning I was, I was life journaling and many of us life journaled together in Isaiah 58.6. And I'm just reading along and it says, Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. This is us. This is who we are. This is what we do. And we remove the chains that bind people, and we do that in community. I just tell you this, not one person can keep you from getting free. Oh, I'm sorry, one can. You. You. I told you about Paul's set-free story and that I have a set-free story. And really, I think all of us should have a set-free story. And I'm well aware, listen, I'm well aware of the context this morning, I'm well aware of who's in the room, I'm very well aware of who's watching, and there's a, we got another audience that are watching online, many of, of who never, never attend here. And so, but I think it's important for you to understand a portion of my Set Free story. You need to know a little bit about my past, and I've I've told you that I was raised in a home that... We very seldom went to, ch- went to church four or five times. Starting at the age of nine for me, I was, I was sexually abused by a, by a relative. If you know anything about any type of abuse, if you know anything, type, anything about sexual abuse, you know that it, it changes everything. It changes the way the individual sees themselves, uh, sees others around them, uh, even gives them a different pr- perspective in the way that they, they, they see God. It changes everything. Along with that, I was raised in a home that uh, uh, we we didn't handle conflict in a healthy way. We didn't know how. And so in the home that I was raised in, the way you knew somebody was mad at you is they just quit talking to you. And so they quit talking to you, and they would talk to everybody else in your family about you, hoping you'd find out what they're mad at. And so the way in which you would know that people in your family are mad at you, they just quit talking to you. And then the way you knew that they were now happy with you, they'd simply start talking to you again. And like nothing had ever happened, and we wouldn't talk about the conflict, we wouldn't talk about the issue. So I I had shame of sexual abuse, I had uh, identity issues because my approval was now in people, of people in authority, giving and taking approval, and so now I'm enslaved to that. So I went through my junior high years, I went through my high school years, and just, just a lot of sin, a lot of very dysfunctional life, immoral and everything else goes along with that. And when I was 21 years of age, I, the bottom fell out of my life. It, it, it was a disaster. And I had an aunt and uncle who, who were believers who I thought were honestly were just a little weird i never, they talked about Jesus just way too much. And so, uh, so they, they says, you can come live with us. And room and board is you got to go to church with us. And so I says, you know what, that's a deal. And then I learned they go like three times a week. And I, I'm like, how, 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 how many times? I didn't even know that existed. And I'm like, yeah, we go three times. I'm like, wow. This is room and board's expensive here. And so uh, I said, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I need to, I'm in. And so that, that first weekend, Sunday morning, I rolled into the house at 3 in the morning. Uh, yeah, rolled into the into house at 3 in the morning. Uh, my uncle is in my room at 6 a.m. He says, you're going to get up, you're going to get in the shower, you're going to clean up. Uh, we're going we're to get some food in you. Uh, we're going to get some coffee in you. And, and you're going to church you're going to church. And so I'm fine. I, I got in the car and so I I I, I went to church and and um it, for me it was it was in the it was in the worship set. It was in the worship portion that I accepted Christ. It was to an old famous Baptist hymn called softly and tenderly. Marianne Curtley was was singing and she began singing these words that Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, come home, come home. Oh, for his wonderful love and promise. Promises that he has for you, that he has for you and he has for me. Mercy and pardon is waiting for you and waiting for me. Just come home, just come home. In the line where I just crossed the line in the song and accepted Him and met Him, is when she sang, Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. And I'm thinking, if there is a God in heaven that will be honest about me, honest about our issues between us, and still forgive me, and still want me to come home, I'm in. I'm not just kind of in, I'm like all in. And I accepted him, and, and I met him, and, and I got into his word. My aunt and uncle ha- helped me. And then before long, I'm going three nights, three times a week, and it's not that big of a deal to me. Because, like, everything's changing in my life, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning his word. And then, and then, I, then I, I meet Karen in that church, and, and we get married. And six months into our marriage, two churches come to me, two different pastors, of no solicitation from me. This is, hey, we, want, we would like to invite you to serve on staff as one of our pastors, and we'd like for you to be a student pastor. And all of a sudden, it's the first time I realized I was stuck. It's the first time I realized I was in bondage, because I realized that this issue of shame over here is like going to keep me from that. I'm like, you know what, if they know the truth about me, they wouldn't have invited me. If they knew who I really am and what has happened in my past, they would have never. And you know what? If I go on staff and they find out later, they're going to reject me. They're going to fire me. I can't take that. So you know what I did? I said no, even though I knew God was calling me. No. One of the pastors looked at me. In fact, is his church was 25,000 members. And he looked at me and he says, well, you can say no, but I'm going to tell you this. God spoke a word to me. And God's going to use you one day to lead a movement and to lead a community. I just want you to know that. And that haunted me for like 10 years. And so, so I, I, started trying, I started trying to get free. And I got to the place to where God, okay, if you ever call me into ministry, I'll, I'll go. And then Dr. Kurt Dodd met with me. He was our first senior pastor. He was our founding pastor. He says, hey, we're going to start a church in Pueblo. Would you come? And I'm like, I've, I told God that I'd come. I didn't know what I was signing up for, but I, I've already told him yes, I'll come. And so we came here in 1995, and the first, for the first four and a half years, Dr. Dodd was was a senior pastor. And so, you know what? I, I could do no wrong. I mean, he's, he's taking the heat for decisions he makes. And so people are telling me, well, you are awesome, awesome, awesome. We love you. We love you. We love you. Uh, we're just so glad you're here. And you know what that's feeding into? That's feeding into my, uh, my need for the approval of people, and it's masking some of my shame because I hadn't totally healed. So Dr. Dodd left in 99. I became the senior pastor Now, I'm the guy. And I don't know if you guys know this. You can't make everybody happy. (laughs) And I made the first decision. The group of people, friends, disagreed with. You know what they did? They removed their friendship. They quit talking to me. And they talked about me in their Bible studies, with their friends. They talked... You know what they brought up? The shame of my past In the approval of people. I was miserable. I was miserable. Amen. I was warring, with self-talked. It was just not healthy. I, you know, I love these people. I respected these people. Maybe what they're saying about me is true, even though I know it really wasn't. One day, Karen told me, she said... Uh, you're stuck. I love you. You can't keep doing this. You're miserable. And it literally almost took me out of ministry. She said, when are you going to get help? So I humbled myself, and I, I, I went to a Christian counselor in the springs. I told him my story. He grinned, opens up his Bible, flips to the Gospels, and, and he, he starts reading the story when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And so he asked me, he got to the place where, G, where, where Simon Peter said, you, you know, you're not going to wash my feet. And so he read that, he stopped, and he says, would you allow Jesus to wash your feet? And I laughed, I said, well that's not even an issue. He says, why isn't that an issue? I said, Jesus would never wash my feet. See, he had washed everybody's feet but mine. Because of mine because of my shame because of what this group of people are saying maybe they're true what they're saying don't forget I was a pastor at this time I, 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 I could tell people when they tell me about their issues and their sin I could tell them God's grace covers your sin you're totally and completely forgiven it's his grace but for me it's different He'd wash everybody else's feet but mine. And this counselor started taking me through the scriptures and took me through prayer and helped me know the truth. And the truth set me free. Started me on a journey of freedom. To where you understand who you you are in Christ. And what he's done for you. Because I'm telling you. You cannot get set free. Until you come to the place to where you admit it. And it's easy. It's easy to be set free. And the more you know him. The more freedom we experience in the Christian life, and freedom's a process. There's other times in my life to I realize, you know what? I'm in bondage to that. I need to, I need to get free. It's, it's a process. And Jesus Christ died to set you free. And we're set free through his word, and we're set free for community. I, I had friends around me, trusted friends, that I told them my story, and I thought they were going to go, <gasps> Some of them said, me too. Me too. I have that stain too. And God took it away. And we don't look at you any different than we did before. That's how you get free. It's in community. Listen, you do not have to live in the bondage of your past, the sins of your past, You can live in freedom in your life. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?